0: Welcome and thank you for joining us for the Church by the Glades podcast. If you would like more information about Church by the Glades, including service times and directions, visit cbglades.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. Oh, what is up, CBG? So we have a car show at this campus, if you're watching online, so why, why not roll out on the stage in a 1985 vintage DeLorean, DeLorean. <laughs> and uh, if you got caught in the traffic, apologies. Let's do the, the, the uh, car show. It should be fine next week, so come on back next week. Uh, every week, I think it's gonna be really helpful of our new series, The People Who Drive You Crazy. drive Because it's a relationship study, and it is funny how the people you love like crazy tend to be the same people sometimes who drive you crazy. Uh, But the Bible is the ultimate relationship manual in all of history, so we're gonna have a a great time, be here every week if you can. And if you're new, you're like, oh, hey, a DeLorean, I guess that's because uh, this church believes in creativity, you have these creative moments, and I guess it's just like kind of a fun, random, creative thing. And that's true with a little tweak. Uh, Our creativity, we hope, is never random. There's typically a reason. So if we do a song you might hear on the radio or if we do uh, you know uh, something from a movie you've seen on TV or Netflix or something, there's a reason why, typically as, as the teacher, I'm trying to raise tension in the room, I'm trying to introduce the topic, uh, I'm trying to start the conversation. The way at another church a pastor might start his sermon by sharing a poem or a story about Winston Churchill, I like to use pop culture. So why, why? Why why a DeLorean, not just any DeLorean, but a Doc Brown modified, time traveling, even has the flux capacitor in here, why this DeLorean, why why this visual aid? I'm gonna tell you why in about 15 minutes. In about 15 minutes, I'm gonna tell you why, but I'm telling you this, don't log off, don't log off, don't change the channel because it's a big why. Uh, Embedded in this visual aid is a principle That will give you clarity not just on every relationship decision but any decision in your life that requires sacrifice or discipline to reach a goal so if you have some goal in your future you want to get to and you're wondering how do i get there i'm telling you there's this idea it's not my idea it's a biblical idea but i think it brings such clarity and it helps you make that decision and stick with that decision so stay awake don't log off we'll jump right into it so it is a relationship study. And if I describe a relationship one week that is not your particular specific relationship context, just stay with me. Funny, the main relationship principles in the Bible are transferable. So if I talk about a principle, I don't know, in marriage and you're single, hang on, the principles will probably apply. But talk about how you deal with frustrating people in your family, the principles will apply to the frustrating people at work or at school. So take some notes, and I do wanna start, I wanna start with families this week, and I wanna start, with parents. I'm gonna start with parents and kids. You know, why, why, any parents in the room? Any parents? <laughs> Obviously you're tired, tired parents. Uh, so why, why parents, why parents, why do I wanna start with parenting? Because parenting is hard. Now if you don't have kids yet, you're like, I've heard that. No, you don't understand how hard parenting is. Uh, in fact, who here has more than one kid? Make some noise if you have more than one. There, there you go. <laughs> I'll put on the screen right now my family. I do have a family. i blessed to have a family. And kids are awesome. When I say it's hard, kids are great. They're a blessing from God. I love my kids. I would take a bullet for my kids. My kids are awesome. I love my kids, right? Right? But but they're hard. And you know we have three kids. Why do we have three kids? Because two well-behaved kids is no challenge. Three. When you move from two to three, you, you move from man-to-man defense to zone. And they have you outnumbered. But again, if you don't have kids, you have no idea how hard it is with kids. I mean, things you take for granted every day. You people that have no kids, right? It's just maybe a couple. You're newly married. You have no kids. Things you do every day, they're hard for us. Things like leaving. I mean, just leaving. Like, if it's just the two of you, like, hey, would you like to leave? Why don't we leave? You walk out, you leave. You hop in your car, get an Uber, and you leave. We hate you. It's so complicated with kids. When you have little kids, even one little punk kid, You bring home that little punk, beautiful eight-pound kid from the hospital, you have no idea the complications. Number one, that car seat, installing the car seat. Who knew it took a PhD in mechanical engineering just to put that thing in place safely? But when you want to leave, when you have kids, though the baby's eight pounds, there's 373 pounds of kid gear you take with you. You got the diaper bag with the diapers and the wipes and the spare set of clothes, I mean, everything because somebody's gonna pee or poop or puke on themselves, right? Oh my gosh, those kids, there's such drama. Anytime you go, you have to get all the right technologies for the right kid, everybody has their own iPad and and hers is done like Dora the Explorer and it has the carrying case like SpongeBob and you can make sure they all have their headphones because you don't wanna listen to the Wiggles anymore. I mean, it's complicated. And then, anybody have that strong-willed kid? You got that that kid, they're great, but they're strong. Dr. Bob Barnes says, if your first one's a pleaser, number two will be your barbarian, right? Right, I won't tell you which kid was our barbarian, Victoria, but anyways, um, anyways, trying to leave, there's always that one kid, that strong kid that doesn't go with the flow, just doesn't, not gonna leave, not gonna leave. And so what do you do? You lie. Victoria, we're gonna leave you behind. I'm counting to three. If you don't leave, we're, she's just watching her, watching her iPad. Watching, she's just watching her iPad. I'm gonna leave you right now. One, two, we're gonna leave you. One, two, three. Bye-bye. And she stays right in. She'd call my bluff every time. Kids, hard, hard, hard. Anybody got, got more than three, four kids? Anybody got more than four, four or more, four or more? Wow, four or more. I hope you're Amish. I hope you're building a barn. That's, that's a lot. They I posted this morning, walking up to the 10 o'clock service, a mom. I don't know if has a single mom, but I know her story. She was coming to church. She had six kids. Check my She had six kids, all dressed up, all smiling. How, she, she should be teaching this weekend. I don't know how she did that. So I wanna start with parents and kids. But again, if you don't have kids, it's transferable. Stay with me. And I wanna take you, parents, to my favorite story about parents in all the Bible. Why? They're good parents and they screw it up terribly. Uh, as a parent who screwed up many times, I just take a bit of solace from this story. It's Luke chapter 2. Now, Luke chapter 2 is famous for what? The Christmas story, that famous account, the shepherds That's all Luke chapter 2. But I want to take you to the other story, the one we don't teach in church nearly as much. It's a story about Mary and Joseph and Jesus. And I'll just, I just read it, highlight it in words. It's just so fun. But it is a dumpster fire. So if you've ever blown it as a parent, this story is for you today. It says, verse 41, every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover when he was 12 years old. I love this. He's 12. He's 12. So it's, it's, we have teenager Jesus right here. Only story that shows up in the Bible between him being a baby and being 30, this one story. So he's a middle schooler. He's adolescent. I, I don't know what he looks like. Uh, Charlie and Victoria, when they, when they were little, they were kind of small for their age and they were real symmetrical. Zane's my first one to be tall and lanky. and He's like all elbows and knees and some freckles. I mean, I imagine, the that, that teenager Jesus look like that? No beard yet, no miracles yet, but just this, this kid, this beautiful lanky kid. All right, so he's teenager Jesus. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind him in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Don't spiritualize this story. Put yourself in their Nikes or their sandals. Here we go. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. Let's just stop. Pump the brakes right here. They had one job. Mary and Joseph had had been entrusted to raise God's son and they lost him. Could you imagine, could you, well, how long was he gone? How long is he gone? Check out the next verses on the screen right now. Here's how long he he was missing, ready? After, they lost him for three days. Parents, ever lost your kid for three seconds? Yeah, right, every parent, every parent's not lying. Yeah, at some point at Disney or Walmart, you look at them, where'd they go? Three seconds, what happens to your heart? How you panic? Oh oh my gosh, every dad, your your daughter disappears like she's little, three, all the Liam Neeson movies start playing in your head, all the Taken movies. Like, oh my God, what am I gonna do? Bless their hearts, three days, and it's God's son. I'll read quickly, these poor parents, what a fail. <laughs> After three days they found him, the temple court sitting among the teachers, listening to him asking questions. Everybody heard it was amazed at his understanding his answers. Then his parents saw him and they were astonished. His mother said, son, why have you treated like this? Good Jewish mother, guilt trip, here we go. Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Oh, right, right. now verse 49 is the first ever recorded word spoken by Messiah Jesus. The first word in all the biblical texts, the first word he ever says, oh my gosh, it's Jesus. What was his first word? Amen, or holy, or prayer, or our Father. First word, don't forget, he's a teenager. Here's the first word, ready on the screen, ready? Why don't you read it? One, two, three. First word is? Why? No parent with a middle schooler is surprised by that. They why you to death, don't they? Why, why? His first word is not something holy. It's why, why? Okay, kids, here's the rule in my family about why, because I love a why question. If you ask a why question about our church, as long as it's not, you know, it's an honest why question. I love questions. Our church is confusing sometimes. So my kids are allowed to ask why, why, if they're in the process of obeying what we ask them to do. If they're doing what I told them to do, and then, hey, Dad, why? Why'd you? Fine, I'll explain my rhetoric if I have time. I will explain the reason why. There's normally a logical reason why they're not allowed to ask why and then decide whether or not they do what I've asked them to do. Yeah, why they're in <laughs> process of obeying, I'm cool with the why question. But Jesus' first question, his first question, tweenager Jesus, why? It continues, why were you searching for me? He asked, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they didn't, <laughs> poor parents, very parents, but they did not understand what he was saying to them, right? Every parent of the middle, I, you're confusing me right now, kid, and then he went down to Nazareth to them and was obedient to them, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart, all right? So this is, this is a fail. This is when Luke gets to heaven, Mary, Joseph, like really, you picked one story and that's the one you picked? We lost him, I'm so surprised they didn't call child protective services, we lost him. Oh my gosh. But here's why they're actually not perfect parents, but they're great parents, exemplary parents. Verse 52 on the screen right now. Here's the bottom line with Jesus, how they raised him. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. I mean, he grew physically, he was healthy and they fed him and took care of him and stuff, nurtured him and in favor with God and with men, with people. So he grew in as He lived a life of obedience that God could bless. He was in passion for God's purposes. If I can just guide my kids, their passion is for God's purpose. Though I mess up and drop the ball, what a win. Talk to the kids for a moment. Parents, you can check your phones for the next five minutes. This is just for the kids. All right, so what's the takeaway for the kids? All right, why the DeLorean, why the DeLorean? I don't remember that movie, David. Are you highlighting that movie, It Back to the Future? Nope, nope, it's not about the movie. Why? All those 80s movies, you don't know 80s movies, but I was old enough to remember 80s movies about teenagers. There were great movies about teenagers. But if you like those movies, maybe you were a teenager in the 80s, remember how all those movies, whether it's Home Alone or Breakfast Club, it's always some smart kid outsmarting the dumb adults. Everyone, the adults are just buffoons, right? They're buffoons and they're clueless and the kids save the day every time. The kids are smarter than the grown-ups. And in a Home uh, no, Home Alone, in uh, Back to the Future, Michael J. Fox goes back in time to save his messy mom and his dorky dad. Kids, don't answer out loud, don't answer out loud, don't, don't, shh, right? don't answer out loud, just look at me. Ever feel like your parents just don't get it? Don't answer out loud. Again, <laughs> okay, definitely don't answer this out loud. Ever feel like your parents, you're just, you're sometimes you're just smarter than your parents? You ever feel like, you ever feel like that way? Uh, I feel like, man, they just don't understand. They don't. Okay, here's a couple of thoughts. Your parents will probably get way more intelligent about halfway through your first semester of college. When you start to like buy your own groceries and do your own laundry and, and manage things, you went, man, my parents' IQ went up a whole lot. I'm guessing <laughs> that might happen. But there are some times that you'll be right and your parents might get it wrong because we're flawed, right? You might So what should you do? You should school us, you should rebel, you should, well, The one kid who was always right when his parents were wrong was Jesus, it was Jesus. We're not sure when theologically he became fully aware of his divinity. Uh, Probably not when he was a baby, probably went there in diapers and Bethlehem going, hey, I, I made the universe. Probably he grew into that somehow. But by this story, when he's a teenager, he knew that the temple was his father's house. He knew who he was. And so listen, as Mary and Joseph were trying to parent Jesus, sometimes they were wrong. So how did he respond? Did he rebuke them? Did he rebel? Look at verse 51 again. Here's what he did. I read this quickly. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient. I thought about just having the teenagers read that, but I'm afraid you guys would not read. He was obedient to them. Better translations, the Amplified, same verse on the screen right now. He went down to Nazareth with them and was continually submissive, he submitted to their imperfect authority. God uses authority systems in life, the good ones and even the broken ones sometimes. Now, if someone in authority tells you to do something sinful or illegal, don't do it. But authority only counts and submission's only submission when you submit to something you'd rather not do. Charlie preached on this a couple of weeks ago. I was, I was kind of relieved to hear my, my 22-year-old preach on the power of submission. But God will leverage submission in your life because someday God wants to give you authority. I believe God has this big plan for your life. If you don't understand authority, you won't be prepared. You'll never be over what God wants to put under you until you come under what God has placed over you. And right now, that's your mom and your dad. So when you submit to them, even when you don't fully agree, when you're thinking, maybe guys, you don't get it. That's honoring to God. Jesus was right, sometimes, occasionally, when Mary and Joseph might have been wrong, and he submitted to them continually. So powerful. All right, you're ready for me to talk to your parents. Okay, parents, this is for you. How about this? I wrote down some notes, because I love this great story, some notes and thoughts and some questions. So I wrote down this question. Because someone, you've dismissed this whole parenting example because it's Jesus. But I wrote down, I wrote down, I wrote down this. How hard can it be is Jesus? I mean, David, literally, they're raising a perfect child. Who obeys and continually submits to them. How, That's, that's easy. That's like a layup. Really? really? Would you want the pressure of raising a perfect child? Forget to be in God's son and Messiah. Would you, uh, this perfect, can you imagine the pressure? Of, oh my, could you imagine because he is perfect, the family dynamic, because you may not know Jesus had brothers and sisters. Did you know that? Check out cross-reference, Matthew chapter 13. It actually names his brothers by name. He had a bunch of brothers. Uh, his brother James, and there was Joseph Jr., and one guy named Simon, and one named Judas. Judas actually was a popular name until the other Judas screwed it up, right? And then mentions he had sisters. So that's at least a half dozen siblings, if not more. So it's a family of seven, seven. So Jesus was homage to, lots of, lots of kids in the family. And can you imagine being one of the siblings and your big brother is perfect? Y'all never, y'all never get mad at Jesus. You think he's perfect. Well, he is. Imagine never measuring up to Jesus. Might I think about, you know, John chapter two, when Jesus performs his first miracle, he turns the water into wine at that wedding with the family. I was thinking about the next wedding. I think about things like this. The next wedding, next wedding, Jesus is out of town, right? And all of a sudden, they're out of wine. Everybody, 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 they look at James. Hey, James, you're out of wine. You know, your big brother, Jesus... He fixed that, can you do anything? Can you whip up some Kool-Aid for us or something? Can can you do, can you imagine just dealing with the pressure and the dynamic? But Mary and Joseph are not perfect. They're flawed, but they're good parents. Why, not only does Jesus turn out wonderfully well, I get it, he's Jesus, but these siblings turned out really well too. Really quickly, we have record of some in the Bible. James writes the book of James, one of the best books in all the New Testament. James, the brother, becomes the head of the ancient church. He wasn't even a Jesus follower when Jesus was alive, but he had a personal resurrection appearance that changed his mind convincingly. Uh, Judas, you know him by his Greek name, Jude. He wrote that little book, it's kind of a tweet in the back of the New Testament. Uh, and then history tells us, Josephus, a historian, tells us that Simon was the Bishop of Jerusalem and actually died as a martyr because he so believed in his brother. That's right. And then history also says the, the sisters were pillars in the church. When you go six for six, when you have six kids turn out, well, you're doing something pretty right. They nailed it with a half dozen or more kids. Man, God bless them for that. Not perfect. So every flawed parent, you still got a shot. Just do your best. Be consistent. I wrote this down in my notes. I wrote down uh, single parent, single parent. Do I have any single parents in the room? Any single parents? All right, single parents. Listen, we, we love you guys at Church by the Glades. Interesting detail, Joseph, the father never shows up again in the biblical record after this story. And in the family system of the day, the father was so important, that omission is glaring. And almost every single Bible scholar thinks, here's the reason why the Joseph died shortly after the story. And if that did happen, God, who could choose any family in the world to be the context to raise Messiah, chose the house especially in his teenage years, of a strong, smart, single mom. Of all the families he could choose. It wasn't that little family it looks like on the back, like our invite card that little stick figure on the back of the minivan with mom and dad and three kids and a dog and a cat. No, no, it was a mom and a half dozen kids doing her best doing her best, so your family doesn't look like the back of the minivan decal, who cares? God knows exactly the family, and exactly the challenges, and exactly the opportunities you need to be everything God has you to be in your future. I wrote down, uh, whether it's Mary or both parents, uh, they provided and built a solid spiritual foundation, a solid spiritual foundation. Let's go back to verse 41 on the screen, ready? Right now, when I say three, read the first word. Ready, one, two, three. Every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. So it was their holy habit. They would travel from Nazareth in the north to Jerusalem every year. Now, how long did that take? By foot, it's about 158 kilometers. That's gonna take you five days. Well, David, didn't they have uh, like donkeys and camels if you were rich? Like a donkey was like having to escalate. Some of y'all have escalates? Camels like camels like a bentley. People are polishing. barely camel shows back there. Look at my Bentley camel, right, right? It's probably, most people like Mary and Joseph, normal blue collar people had to walk. But they walked every year, probably for three festivals. They prioritized worship for the family, whether it was convenient or not. Like that mama who brought her six kids today, on time, dressed up. Check my Instagram, smiling, superhero. And then if you read the record of Jesus when he's an adult, synagogue was a big deal. Every week, he's in the synagogue. Synagogue was a local house of prayer and a study of Torah. Man, bu- bringing your kids to church religiously its one of the smartest things you do for your family. i Oh, well, yeah, well, the pastor thinks church is a big deal. Now, let me take off my pastor hat and put on my dad hat. Uh, you know, one's 13, so he's not out of the woods. My two young adult kids, they love God. They make good choices. Uh, they've not used drugs. They don't sleep around. I mean, they've been... I'm, been lucky, good mom, but I'm telling you the synergy of having them come through the ministry of this church, our kids ministry, our student ministry, our young adult ministry, rally, (laughs) those things are vital. So that's why you need to come and go to best next steps and figure out the right steps for everyone in your family is customized and engage habitually. I know there's competition, there's activities, there's travel sports, you don't want your kid having a great crossover dribble and no spiritual foundation. So if you can't do both, you probably should choose church. You're watching online, man, it got real quiet right there. I'm not trying to offend you. I'm trying to challenge you. What's gonna matter most? Wait till you see the DeLorean idea in just a moment. Last thing I wrote down was, well, David, can I get some help? Because it is hard to be a parent. I mean, Steve, it's complex. I don't know what to do So, I mean, the many, yeah, there are great books out there, great books. Uh, Izzo's Baby Wise is a good book, and uh, Bob Barnes wrote this book called Ready for Responsibility, Gary Chapman, write these down, may help uh, the five love, love languages of teenagers, but, but Mary had none of those. Mary had no books, right? Actually, she had one book, and we do have Mary's Baby Book. What was Mary's Baby Book? What did she use? What was Mary's Baby Book? I, I got it right here. You have it in your hand or on your phone. Her baby book was the scripture. The Bible is the ultimate relationship manual, been working well for thousands of years, and customs and clothing and technology is different, but the human heart is still the same. It's just as powerful and as relevant today. So this was her baby book, and maybe the best part of the baby book she had, the Old Testament was probably the book of Proverbs. Why, how did Jesus grow? He grew uh, in stature. And he grew in favor. First thing, he grew in wisdom. The word wisdom shows up in your whole big fat Bible, Old and New Testament, about 350 times. But almost 50 of those times is in the book of Proverbs. What is wisdom? It is spiritual smarts for doing life your career, your education, your fine, all those things. How do I do those things well? The Bible is your guide on how to do those things well. The book of Proverbs. So what verses in Proverbs did Mary and Joseph read and apply? I don't know, but I know one. Proverbs chapter 22, verse six is a great verse for parents. It's on the screen right now. You should take out your phone and take a picture of this verse. This verse is so good, parents. It says, train up a child in the way he should. Go, because you know, God wants your child to make progress, to, to move down the road like a car, right? Uh, have some holy RPMs and horsepower. So God wants your child to make progress, to grow, so when he is old, he will not turn from it. So it doesn't say that it's gonna be a smooth drive the whole way. I mean some good parents with some knucklehead kids. Amen? Right, I mean, they're doing it, they're doing the stuff, and the kid's just, you know, a hard kid and rebellious. But it's saying, if, if you put this in their life from the time they're young, when they're older, and they wanna figure things out, they know where to come back. They come back to the relationship of God and the scripture and maybe the church. So you're kind of, you're building that spiritual muscle memory, right? Train up a child in the way he should go, go, go. Like, I don't know, like like a, a Dodge Viper or a Hellcat or a DeLorean. So here's the idea with the DeLorean because I want to be a good parent, I want my child to be trained up and to, when they're older, future, to go, have progress, success. I need to think about this DeLorean, because why? It's a time traveling machine. So here's the principle I promise, and it applies to parenting, but it applies to any decision in your life that requires discipline or sacrifice in the moment for a long-term goal. It's called 2020 parenting. It's not original, comes from Julie and Mac Richard. Mac's on our board, preaches her every year, and Julie has this ministry called Fearless Mom. It has a curriculum, it's great for young moms. Thank you, one happy person, it's so good. We'll be doing it, ladies, starting in February of the new year. Uh, what's 2020 parenting? Well, it's the same way you want 2020 vision, good decision-making, and good parenting's about vision, about vision. The Bible says, without vision, people perish. Conversely, I would imagine with vision, people flourish. So I want my kids to flourish. So I need to have this 2020 attitude. In a DeLorean, what do you do? We well, hop in the time traveling DeLorean and you can go back to your past and revisit mistakes or review past glory, but it's really helpful. You can, you can bounce into your future and get a glimpse of tomorrow. So here's 2020 parenting. Am I making this parenting decision based on the next 20 minutes or the next 20 years? Stay with me, stay with me, stay with me, stay with me. I'll flesh it out. Th- th- thank you back there. I appreciate it back there. You're smart back there. It works for your preschooler, your preteen, or your kid is pre-med. 2020, I'm a parent for right now, next 20 minutes, what's convenient for the next 20 minutes or think about the next 20 weeks or next 20 years. Okay, you got a little guy. You got a little guy. So uh, Nick and Stacy here on our team, he's our student pastor. Stacy works in my office. They get a cute little boy. He's like one and maybe 13 months named Avery. He's beautiful. He knows like four words. His four words are mama, daddy, poop, and amen. That's a good four words. But say you got a little guy like that, and it's even before he can speak, but he can walk, right? Now you root for them to walk, and about five minutes later, like, what was I rooting for? Because now they're so busy and they're into everything. And so you got a, you got a little guy, and say there on the coffee table is a, a knickknack, right? Just a just thing that he's not allowed to touch. There's a boundary around that. But you're tired. Oh man, those kids wear you out, right? And the little kids are tired. You, man, you love them so much, but you pray for bedtime every day because you need a break. It's not bedtime yet, you're just kind of there. You, you need a little break, so you, you get back in that chair, that really cozy chair, that recliner, or, or you're way deep in the couch, right? And those kids, these little toddler kids, they got that toddler radar where they can tell weakness and fatigue. And he sees that you're tired. You're in that chair and you're tired. You're sitting way back there, right? He knows he's not supposed to touch that thing. And he's typically a good little boy, right? But he sees dad tired. He sees that knick-knack. And he stares you down as he reaches for it, right? Sensing weakness. Here's what he's doing. Will dad get off his butt and deal with this or can I break the rules? Can I break the rule? So you're gonna parent for the next 20 minutes or the next 20 years. Because stay with me, boundaries are a blessing when boundaries are consistent. But if your boundaries bounce, right? If your boundaries, you don't enforce your boundaries, that builds insecurity into your child. It builds irresponsibility and they wrongly assess blame. If If you bounce, like I'm gonna sit here, I'll deal with it next time or the next time. No, it always has to be that consistent Twenty-year perspective. You're staring at me. You don't think it builds frustration if you're inconsistent with boundaries and consequences? I know you are. When you get pulled over and you've been speeding, you're really speeding by a cop. Do you ever get frustrated at the cop? Don't lie in church, right? You drive away, mad at the cop. I can't believe that cop, man. Cops, cops, they have authority issues. They, they, they power trip. Can't believe it. I got this ticket from the cop, man. Jerk cop. Why are you mad at the cop? Because you've been speeding down that same road a hundred times before and the cop wasn't there. So they cannot consistently enforce that boundary. So when they do enforce the boundary, you're mad at them instead of taking responsibility upon yourself. But by contrast, stay with me. If every car in America came with this mechanism, that the moment you went five miles over a given speed limit, the autopilot of that car took over and it pulled you to the side of the road and then it shut off and the air conditioning shut off and it wouldn't turn on again until you reached in your wallet, pulled out your debit card and you swiped a little place on the dashboard and it took $250 from your checking account, then and then only it would start. Would you be frustrated at the cop? No. no. who would you be frustrated at? Yourself. And you'd probably drive the speed limit. Consistency, 20 minutes versus 20 years. Uh, You're preteen, you're preteen. He's a good kid, she's a good kid, makes good grades. And you have a, uh, your procedure is every night before school, they pack the backpack, because kids these days have like 80-pound backpacks, right, and all the books and stuff. And so you go through, don't wait till the morning. Mornings are hard enough, do do it ahead of time, right? So get the clothes out, everything organized. But it's like the third time that uh, she has called you from school. Hey, hey, mom, mom, uh, I forgot my math notebook. Can you drive it to me? Now in every marriage, there's like, you know, a boundary parent and there's like a cupcake parent. And you're the cupcake, you wanna rescue her, right? Oh, mom, I'm gonna lose a letter grade, a letter grade if, if I had turned in tomorrow, right? And she's done this before, she didn't even warn you, we can't do this, right? And, and you could do it, I mean, it's inconvenient. inconvenience, 20 minutes out of your day, you could do it, but are you parenting for the next 20 minutes or next 20 years? Because when she grows up and gets a job and has a presentation, an important client, she forgets the flash drive at home because she's disorganized, you can't come rescue her then. So I think you say, hey, honey, I'd love to help you out. We talked about this. You gotta get organized the night before. And don't worry, no colleagues look at your transcripts from seventh grade. You'll take the hit. You'll take the hit. You're parenting for the 20 years. See how this works? It's not just parenting. I mean, it's everything. It's, it's, you get in the DeLorean, that's why you don't eat the Ben and Jerry's at 11 o'clock at night. Cause you think about 20 weeks, you think about your health. Guys, it's why you don't have the affair. It's not about the next 20 minutes with some salacious it's you think about, oh my gosh, if my wife finds out because she will, and it's my kids and the embarrassment and the shame, and it's giving half of my stuff and money to attorneys, get in your DeLorean and drive down the road, see the consequences of decisions that lack discipline. Your pre-med kid, your pre-med kid, uh, you're helping them at school, they got bright futures, they're smart, right? But Okay, for me, uh, my parents, I have blue collar parents, they put all three kids, to private Christian college. I'll talk about that some next week, how you can make those financial decisions. Um, next week's so important, please be here next week. They did that, even, you know, I, I worked from the time I was 15, earning extra money for school, spending money, but I mismanaged my money, so about halfway through my sophomore year, I was out of my spending money. And mom and dad gave me a little allowance, you know, at the start of every month, and because I was stupid, me and my buddies in the dorm, would go to our favorite restaurant, the Lake Brazos Steakhouse in Waco, Texas, and order these giant porterhouse 30-ounce steaks, guys, and eat and laugh and drink Dr. Pepper, it was awesome. No, I mean, I couldn't afford that. So every month was the same story. For three days, I ate generic mac and cheese, three meals. And I went out, told my parents, like, mom and dad, I'm eating mac and cheese. Guess what, they never sent more money. Probably didn't have it, never sent more money. But they taught me to do what? To budget, live on a margin, think about the long term. Man, they weren't pastoring for the, they were leading or, or parenting me for the 20 minutes, but for the 20 years. God wants you to walk in wisdom. God wants you to make great decisions, blessable decisions. So 2020, 2020, 2020, it's in the Bible. You know what's so frustrating? There is so much wisdom, there is so much truth. Here's a crazy thing. I'm not sure you're watching this right now, but here in America, I got a question for you, church. Answer out loud. What is the most available? I even say the most owned book in American life. Yet at the same time, the most unread book in American life. Everybody has one, but nobody reads. What is the book? What is the book? Oh. Nope. Not the Bible. Not the Bible. It is the owner's manual of your car. <laughs> I'm just do a survey. Raise your hand if you own a owner's manual. Raise your hand. Everybody in the room, like look at all the hands, I man. All the hands. Almost every grown up has their hand up. Now, if you read the whole thing all the way through, cover to cover, would you please raise your hand? It's always like 3 people. It's like 3 people. You probably get the best performance out of your car, best gas mileage, best service cuz you you read the thing, you're applying the thing. The rest of us probably should. Guess what? I don't care about your car but I care about your kids, and I care about your marriages, and I care about your health, and I care about your spiritual life. We need to be doers of the word and not merely hearers alone to apply the truth of Scripture. And here's your first step. If you don't yet have a relationship, a relationship with Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm gonna pray and the prayer partners will be at the edge of your stage. Or if you're watching online, you can uh, text the word salvation to the number you're going to see at the screen in just a moment. And a real life person will get back to you. It's all about not what you have, but who you have. God bless our relationships. Jesus, if someone needs you, may they make that choice. That's our prayer in Jesus name. As the church loudly says together. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. We hope you enjoyed the podcast today. To hear more messages like this, make sure you subscribe and share with your friends. Don't forget to stay connected with us by following us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at CBGlades at Pastor D Hughes.